everyone. Welcome to Forward Thinking. It's Charlie and Chrissy here, and we have a special guest. She's not new to the podcast, but we have Christy Montague Fusco, and um, she's one of our consultants here at CS2. And we're going to have her on to talk about a topic that hits every marketing ops person probably every day, weekly. Um, and that's, you know, what are the questions I should go through before I send a mass promotional email to my database? You get a lot of requests for sending huge database blasts. And there's a lot of implications that can have on your deliverability um, and also the performance of your email. So um, Chrissy is going to take us through a cool map that she created. It's actually a blog post, which we'll link in the description of the podcast um, that she created that has those steps. So welcome, Christy. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah. And I think just to kind of tear it up yeah. as well, that there's definitely always a battle between mops and the other, other people, other people on the marketing team, right? Yeah. Where Marketing Ops kind of, I think, sees and understands that we shouldn't be sending these huge blasts to everyone, but then often we just end up just having to do what the other marketing teams are telling us to do because for whatever reason, whatever justification they have. Um, but I think this resource is a good one to like share with those people so they can understand you know, the questions to ask, but then also hopefully we'll, we'll go through some of the reasons why um, you need to be careful about your these large email sends um and we're, and anyone who is just listening we're going to be sharing our screen occasionally but if you are just listening we'll put something in the show notes about where you can find the the chart so should i just share the screen jump right into it yeah all right here we are lovely so little musical chart yeah i feel like we've referred like a hundred whimsical customers <laughs> now. Um, every podcast. Yeah, every podcast or every time we show a client whimsical, they're like, oh my God, this is cool. It's actually a um, yeah, a process chart, work flow chart builder that actually looks good. Yeah. Um, so for marketing people, obviously that matters a bit more than maybe just like technical IT people that like to use ugly, ugly builders. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting off track. So as you see at the top here, we've got, should I send a mass promotion email to my database? Question mark. Yeah, it, and then the first question that we get to is, is your email tailored to a specific audience? So I'll open this up to Christy and Chrissy about why this is important. But the first thing just to mention here is that, you know, it, it doesn't, it seems crazy to say it these days, but there's still companies out there that will say, oh, we need to send this to everyone on our database. So you two seeing that? Yeah. And I mean, I think even if you do need to like, you know, you get that direction from leadership that they want this message to go out to everyone, you can still take that and create an email for different audiences within your entire database, whether it's by industry or if you're targeting, um, if you're referring to some, some of their previous activity, you know, if it's a webinar and you refer to, hey, I know you joined this previous webinar, just segmenting out those groups so that, I mean, it's, it's going to perform better. You know, when you get an email in your inbox, are you going to respond? Are you more willing to look at it if it is tailored to you or if it's just like a generic blanket statement? Yeah. And what you said there is, but yeah, I liked what you said there when 
you know, when you get an email, it's like trying to create that empathy. And we talk about that. I feel like every, every podcast now, like trying to create yeah. empathy and run everything through the, you know, would I, res- would I respond to this yeah. question? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you are sending an email to everyone in your database, by definition, you're not tailoring that to your audience. And I think the important thing to say here is, you know, yes, you might have a communication or an offer that needs to get out to a large portion of your database. And maybe we're not saying, okay, you need to shrink that down to 10% and not send to the 90%. What we're actually saying is maybe, okay, send it to everyone, but let's try and tailor the actual email, which which has the same offer, but tailor the email to individuals based on like behavioral targeting, persona targeting, stuff like that. Totally. I I think, um, you know, Christy, you mentioned behavior based, but I think not only tailoring the content to be behavior based, but even tailoring your send to really make sure you're sending to people who have shown behavior, especially on email. Um, one, One top tip too, if you're a Marketo client, you can actually import a program uh, from their library that's just called um, op, OP as an operational email deliverability. And there's actually smart campaigns and smart lists already built out there to help you marking suspend chronic bouncers and chronic non-responders. Um, and I think having that in place, make sure that you suspend those people anyway, who might, you know, be impacting your performance in general, but if you're not, you know, editing the list to make sure you're not constantly sending to those chronic bouncers or. uh, Yeah, I think we're skipping ahead a little bit. Oh, Um, sorry. But yeah, that was a sneak (laughs) peek of, of a few, of a few areas ahead there, but I think, and anything else to say on the tailoring to a specific audience? I think Christy got it. I mean, activity-based or or premise-based too, you know, like Christy said, like having an industry or even just some type of premise of why you're reaching out to them or segmenting them out, like by use case or something like that is obviously going to perform better. Yeah. Okay. And then I I know I said that, you know, you maybe you do want to send to everyone on the list, but then tailor each email, but actually to counter that, a lot of times you probably do want to shrink your list just to tailor because there's probably some people on that list that are just not interested in yeah. that content whatsoever and that kind of takes us to the next point sharing my screen again if uh, people listening there was that random pause you, your audio didn't break so has everyone on on your within your audience shown some kind of engagement you kind of touched on this a little bit um there and this is this is like such an easy thing to do um, but many companies forget this, especially these days with ABM, when you know a huge part of how some some companies treat ABM is that they will buy large amounts of person information and data from companies like Zoom Info. Sales team will be adding loads of contacts within their target accounts, and none of those people have actually shown any engagement. And often that data will end up in your marketing automation platform, get picked up um, via your your campaigns and your email sends in through Marketo or Pada or whatever you use, um, and that has severely can damage your you know, damage your conversion rates, damage your deliverability, tons of you know, negative consequences from that. So yeah, I, what do you both think about this one? So in terms of you know making sure that you have some engagement type filter 
on your sense? You know, how important do you think this is when you're when you're going through and building your list? Yeah, I think this is a really tough one for people to actually implement because it has the possibility of shrinking your send list so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, even by 50% or more, just if you're targeting only engaged people, but I think you're really going to see the results. Um, And if you're getting pushback, like, you know, we want to send it to as many people as possible try doing two different sends, like try doing an A-B test, one send to people that are engaged and one that is sent to everyone. And then you can show people the results afterwards. And I almost guarantee you that the one that you're sending to engaged people is going to have better performance. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, we, we definitely talk about that a lot with our clients, don't we? It, it, when you're trying to build the case to remove cold people from these sends, do some testing for a while test you mm-hmm. split your list into cold and and engaged and i think when we've gone back and actually looked at some of that data or some of the audits that we've done um there is i think the the last audit that i did it was well over like a three almost four x improvement um in engagement for um for engaged data versus cold and actually one i did a while back we we would look through and not just look at even email engagement, but from when you looked at your cold data, how many emails there were sent and then any engagement there, but then also did any of that result in sales conversations and opportunities. And when we followed that journey all the way through, it was almost non-existent from from the Mm -hmm. cold data. Mm -hmm. It was actually shocking. And the amount of emails that went into that cold data was shocking as well but then literally nothing came of it barely any email engagement and any of the clicks that we saw were mostly just like bot clicks spam filter clicks and then nothing resulting in terms of like actual opportunities or revenue so maybe something came of it but it was all negative things right (laughs) like unsubscribes or um you know getting added to a spam list exactly that's where a lot of people kind of they they you ignore the the negative consequences and you think there's 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 only upside to emailing people but actually there's more downside than upside when it comes to this specific question um whether you should email people with engagement because of all of that i think you'd have to go back to a previous podcast i forget which one it was where we talked about all of the downsides with with emailing cold data but you know, like Christy mentioned, deliverability, future deliverability, being able to actually email people who are engaged in the future because you've got deliverability problems. Um, And then just brand reputation damage, you know, how many times have you seen, you got an email from a company and you just, you know, you almost just disqualify that company because you just got annoyed by getting that email and no one thinks about that. Um, All right, so we've gone through, let's jump, jump back into our whimsical. So the first one was tailor, tailor your email mm-hmm. to your audience. Doesn't necessarily mean cut your list all the way down, but um, if you have to have you have to do a large send, split it out. The next one, go through, add on engagement filters and make sure that you know, the people you are emailing are engaged. Now jumping onto the third level here, um, and this, this is a, a funny one because you would assume that everyone has this 100% buttoned up but has everyone on your audience list actually agreed to receive communication? 
So Christy, give us give us some insight into what you're seeing here um, and some thoughts around, you know, actual explicit consent. Yeah, well, I think a lot of times, you know, maybe there is an opt-in program set up where you're gathering subscription preferences, but maybe that's not always communicated to all the people that are sending emails. And so maybe they forget to add those into their sends. Um, and so that can have not only legal implications, but also just make a lot of people angry when you're emailing them after they've already opted out or never opted in. Um, so I think just really making sure that you're only sending to those people that you've actually gathered opt-in from and not just because they're in your database. Mm -hmm. Totally. And that and that's actually assuming they even have a program set yeah, up yeah. right there's a lot yeah. of companies out there that haven't even got to to that level yet yeah i mean i think across our whole team we've done so many consent projects um over the last year um which you would think would already be in place for companies but even going back and revisiting because a lot of the times they're not really set up correctly um and so I, I, and I, I think part of this too um, is you can go based on what legal says as your guidelines. We have an old podcast all about like GDPR and consent and go back to that. But, but really also for marketing, like, like you said, you know, bringing that empathy and um, thinking about, you know, really like we should probably only be emailing people who have showed consent or, like, you know, the, the, some implied consent, you know, if they went to like a, a, you know, event or something like that for certain countries, that's fine too. But having that will, you know, just better improve your, um, your conversion rates as well. Yeah. And that's actually kind of built out in the chart here. So when you get to this, has everyone actually explicitly, explicitly agreed to receive communication um, and then if you say no, then are you implying opt-in somehow? And has this been agreed by your legal team? Yeah. So, um, Christy, explain, explain implied intent versus explicit intent and some of the things that uh, some of the listeners, listeners should think about here and discuss with their legal team. Yeah, so explicit consent, you're looking at people who have actually maybe filled out a form and checked the box on the form that says, I would like to receive marketing emails. And then implied consent is more of, okay, have they um, engaged with us before? Or sometimes legal teams will say, if they're in the United States, we can give them implied consent because um, the United States doesn't have any um, rule, like, you know, like not like G GDPR doesn't apply to the United States. So we don't have to worry about it there, but um, yeah. So it's some legal teams might say if someone's had activity before, you know, we can send it to them. So I think just making sure you've talked to your legal team and defined what implied explicit consent is and following those guidelines. Yeah. And Christy, yeah, you've, you've even built out a deck for us that we take clients through showing the whole risk spectrum of intent. Yeah. And I think it's a really good, kind of mental model thought experiment to go through when you're thinking about intent because it's not black and white and all of the rules are very much in the gray area um, for many countries. Some are probably a bit more, uh, you know, obvious than others, but there's still so many gray areas and it's all based on risk reward. Mm -hmm. um, and the reward is you're able to maybe communicate with more people 
and you might heighten your risk because you're implying consent more than maybe some other companies would or you might be very risk adverse but then you know you you're not able to communicate and email as many people so this is why bringing the legal team into it is very key because the the interpretation of the law needs to be done by a legal professional and not just a marketing operations person but then generally what we see that happens is well actually you kind of see two things sometimes legal team is like all over it and they just like come with the rules and this is what you have to do sometimes the legal team are very hands-off and they need the marketing ops team to come up with the rules so then in that case then marketing ops team will build out the rules build out the processes and then get that reviewed by the legal team but in both cases you need legal team approval because you don't want to lose your job or get you know get your company fined because you've broken some kind of violation like gdpr yeah um, and i think to add on to that if you're a marketing ops team who doesn't have anything in place yet and you need to get something out the door now and you're going through these steps i think taking that same mindset, like the risk reward is, you know, if you already have on filters for activity um, or or any like campaign Mm -hmm. success or anything, that's already kind of getting you closer to that consent anyway. Um, So another place we'll often look is lead source. You know, do you have a ton of people on that list who are sourced from list purchases or, you know, anything like that? Um, Maybe do a combination of the source plus what country they're in and then just filter those people out. Um, especially for countries like Germany or Switzerland or Canada, who maybe are a bit more sensitive to um, consent. Yeah. So then moving through the chart here. So if um, if you're watching this, we just went through, has everyone explicitly agreed to receive communications? If no, are you implying opt-in? And has this been agreed by your legal team? Very important, that last bit there. If no, then make sure you're getting explicit consent. I mean, this is where you might end up having to cut your list down. But the you know, if you haven't got it approved by your legal team to be implying opt-in, then you know our recommendation is not to risk it um, and then try and push back on reducing the list size. But if you have got approval from your legal team to opt-in, and also the what Chrissy just mentioned there about you know if you want to find even more, get even more into the depths of the gray areas, like. You could then, if you're making sure that they're, they've engaged, like back up to one of the previous points here, then that definitely builds the case for implied consent. Yeah. Um, but then if the legal team is agreed, then you can move through this section here. Or if if you do have explicit consent, then you move into the, the next section, which is all around, um, Christy, you kind of alluded to this earlier. Know. Um, where you want to make sure, you know, has anyone been, you know, bounced or marked as email invalid? So let's dive into kind of what that means and the different types of bounces that people need to be thinking about. Yeah, actually that Marketo program, you said you can import, that sounded really interesting. I hadn't heard of that before. So I'd, I'd love if you could talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, so I think uh, if anyone's done a recent um, email deliverability, uh, program, like with Marketo, like working with their team, or you even, uh, registered for a dedicated IP. Um, there's a lot of great resources, uh, that now they'll work with you. And one of those, um, resources that they mention in that setup is this, uh, program that you can just import from the program library to help you, um, manage, 
your chronic bounces um, and your chronic non-responders. And really you can make just like small tweaks um, to the campaigns, but they're all kind of like ready to go. And so this would look at anyone who had like five plus um, bounces um, in this like 90 days. And then um, also anyone who just hasn't responded to an email um, and, and you can adjust that time frame based on like kind of what you feel comfortable with, but um, they usually start with anyone who hasn't, hasn't responded to any email within like the last six months. You can be even more strict than that. Um, so it's, it's a awesome thing because it kind of has all the work done for you. Uh, if you're a Marketo customer, if you're not a Marketo customer, I think, um, you know, this is super important, but I think often gets overlooked and it doesn't mean that you're, you know, deleting people from your database or anything like that. But if people aren't responding to your emails, it's likely that there's a few reasons for that. Like they're just, you know, one, not receiving them in their inbox, um, which means there's a deliverability problem there altogether, or there's spam filters picking it up. Um, they're not interested. So they're just deleting all your emails um, or their emails invalid. And so you would automatically get that marked, but if you're using a system who doesn't do that, you want to, this will also help you remove any of those people who maybe have an invalid, uh, email. Um, and then the bounces, I think it will help as if you continue to email bounced, um, people, you'll just continue to see your deliverability go down and you might even get feedback loops from those, um, email servers about, you know, Hey, you're spamming and, and that'll alert back your, um, your ESP provider. And, and, and that'll really impact your deli deliverability as well. And there's a, a huge amount of <laughs> impact on deliverability. I think we've talked about on a podcast. I won't go too much in depth, but I, I think it's super important. And Christy, when, when you work with clients, um, do you often add on like any filters or create smart lists for chronic um, bouncers or non-responders um, outside of marking suspended them? But do you often see that people are filtering these out or have you actually put them in place and seen any like change in the results in their emails? I mean, I've seen both. I've seen where people have the campaigns that marketing suspend them based on bounced. And I, I like that approach because I think people are more likely to add on to their smart lists that, you know, not marketing suspended rather than not bounce. Like, you know, that people don't think of adding that to their list. So I like marketing suspend them, suspending them, but I mean, there's definitely people that don't look at it at all. And so I think that could kind of set you up for that low deliverability rate. Um, so I think definitely, definitely trying to filter out bounces um, you know, if they've had like three bounces in the past month or couple months, I think that's kind of, that indicates that, okay, they're not getting these emails. Let's just go ahead and filter them out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important probably to call out that, you know, a hard bounce can be a spam bounce mm -hmm. where you're just, you're just not be, your email is not being delivered because either you're on a blacklist or, you know, the, the receiving server thinks that you're trying to spam them. And, but a tool like Marketo will suspend that, suspend you from being able to email that email address for 24 hours, but then will allow you to continue to email them after that. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to continue emailing and emailing, emailing over time, you know, that can, like Chrissy said, that will impact your deliverability. And then um, you're just, 
you're just kidding yourself that you're ever going to be able to get through. So, you know, having some automation to suspend them so then they don't get any future emails is important. But then also just making sure that you're adding um, those filters to your list so you have an, an idea of actually what your list size is. You know, I see a lot of clients, they'll build their list and they won't remove the people who won't actually be sent that email. Like if they are marketing suspended, invalid, unsubscribed, and they're not adding those filters to the list. So they're like, oh, I'm going to send to 100,000 people. But then the email only goes out to like 50,000 people. And they're like, wait, why did I get out to 50,000 people? And it's like, well, you know, you've got all these people that are subscribed and it's marketing suspended, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, and maybe this is a good question for Christy because you know, we, at the start of this flow chart, you probably start with a group of like 200,000, but after you put on all of these filters or checks, you probably end up with like a, you know, very small list of maybe even, you know, 20,000 or even lower with a client recently, we looked at it and it was only, you know, a very small fraction of their database, like 10%. Um, and there's other reasons for that, but how, how do you, you know, how do you sell that to the client? What are some benefits or what are some like things that you can say to the demand gen team to make them okay with that instead of just having you kind of take those filters off? Yeah. I mean, that's why I mentioned at the beginning, like it's, it's tough to get these through and actually make these changes happen, but I think it's just going to really, it's going to pay off in your results. And I think just the testing aspect of it, if you can show them the comparison, if you can take a look at the cold data and see how many people unsubscribed and show the negative impact that sending emails is having, you know, if they're, if you don't follow these steps, um, that could help try to get people on board. But also I think if you, if you start with 200,000 people on your list and after going through all these steps, you're left with, you know, 20,000, that could be a good sign that you need to do some work on your database health. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's deleting people, um, or that kind of thing, just to see like, why, why are some people unmarketable in our database? Look at the sources of those people and try to figure out how you're acquiring so many people that you actually can't email to. Totally. I think we talk about technical debt. I think we've talked about on this podcast before, but I always think of this as like email debt. You know, if you're like spamming a load of people now and you're just putting yourself in Mm -hmm. a bad place for the future, not just a little bit, not just like you're going to end up in the same place. It's you're going to be in a worse place. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be harder to get into an index and be harder to reach people. And that's because you're dealing with that debt that you put yourself in thinking that you're going to email a ton of people and get, you know, great conversion rates which you're likely not, um, the conversion rates really are proven. Like when you reduce that size, which we've talked about in a past podcast on how to improve your email conversion rates. But, um, I, I think to your point too, like, I think having that conversation is like, Hey, maybe there's some areas we need to uh, address even recently for a client, there was a simple, simple setup thing, but was actually put in place where they had, just structural problems. They were sending email out from a domain that they wanted to just send um, from, it wasn't even a subdomain. It was a completely different name of their like main domain. But then their, um, their tracking links were going to their domain, a subdomain of their domain. Now, just those not matching each other can impact 
the performance and deliverability of your email because email clients will say, Hey, these don't match. This person sending these emails and the links within their email don't match. This can be malicious. And so, um, you know, just making that change alone is, um, I think one thing that heavily impacted their deliverability. So, you know, doing the investigation afterward, um, I think is another step, uh, beyond that. Um, but while you're in that intermediate period, taking a step back and really being a bit more conservative with your sons, I think is the right way to go. Yeah. I think if to, a lot of this is a change management thing. And like I said, at the beginning, when we were teeing this up, it, there's the conflict between marketing operations and the wider marketing team and marketing operations probably understands all the stuff that we've talked about today. And the, the wider marketing team probably does to a certain extent too, but there needs to be education around that. And I think a lot of times in marketing operations, you, you feel like you're swatting flies because you know, you get, you're getting all of these requests, you're having to build all these lists and like every so often you're like giving them feedback on how they can improve it. And you're trying to like deal with the things like as they come in. But generally, as a principle in everything that we do in marketing operations, the better way to actually make change is to take a step back, run an audit, do some A-B testing, like Christy said, or, or, or even just analyze what you've already done in the past, build the case, and then try and educate people on as a, as a bigger project, as opposed to just like trying to just deal with tickets as they come in and deal with people and issues as they come up. Because once you can really build that case and write out that narrative and maybe six or seven slides to show, okay, well, I looked at engaged versus cold and this was the, the improvement of the conversion rates for engaged or this, I had a look and we're not, you know, we're not marketing suspended, mm -hmm. anyone this bounced, or these are the issues with our opt-in process. And these that we've actually been emailing people that haven't given explicit consent, being able to tell that whole story, go back to the marketing team, present that, as kind of a consultant, you can get a consultant to help you that you can get Marketo to help you that or you can just do it yourself. Mm -hmm. That's going to help kind of instigate change. And then whenever we've done this for clients, the wider marketing team is quite shocked, actually, at the results when they see it. Yeah. But then when everyone's just in the day to day, no one really understands the implications of all of these smaller decisions they're making until you can show them the bigger picture. Mm. Yeah. I, one thing I wanted to end with Christy was just a great quote that you had in your blog post and you uh, not saying this word for word, but along the lines of every time you send an email, it's a chance for someone to unsubscribe. And, um, mm -hmm. can you talk a little, maybe give an example of recently, like what were some of the reasons why you unsubscribe from emails? Cause I think putting each other, you know, putting people in that perspective, like just gives you another anecdote of like, Hey, this actually does matter. Yeah. And that quote was actually from Allison on our team. So I can't take credit for it, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, you know, you see the same emails in your inbox every day and every day you're going through the same exercise of, okay, I got to delete these. Like, you know, which emails you're going to delete in the morning. I don't know if you guys, if that happens mm -hmm. to you, but at a certain point you get like, wait, why am I deleting these every morning? Like, I just need to unsubscribe. And so that could be a case where it comes down to um, just frequency of email, you know, Send, sending people emails less frequently if they're not opening your emails, like that kind of thing. Um, because seriously, I get the same emails in my inbox every day that I delete. And it's like, think about how many people are doing that that aren't unsubscribing that you're emailing to 
um, that you're just kind of like, they see your name and they automatically delete. Like, what is that doing for your brand reputation and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's shifting the perspective from every time I email someone, it's not an opportunity for them to engage. It's an opportunity for like something bad to happen or yeah. it's a potential yeah. for something bad to happen and if you're if you're that if you just think that way then you just by default you're going to be more conservative right totally yeah um and then email is just one part of it it's just one channel i think we put a lot yeah. of pressure on it um and i think we're pointing back to hey we there's probably a reason to bring in more people who are engaged through your brand or other places so and that'll make your email marketing even better so Um, This is a great map for everyone. Um, If you're going through this exercise, um, I I think, you know, you probably do it a little bit, but I think it, you know, thanks to Christy for kind of mapping it out in in simple terms for everyone and making sure that they will, you know, email the right people, you know, preserve your email deliverability and really get better um, results before sending that massive email send that they got a request for. So thanks for taking us through that, Christy. Yeah, thanks. And I'd love to hear if anyone um, starts implementing these steps and, you know, if they see any any performance increases or anything like that. So let us know. Yeah, sure. All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us today on the Forward Thinking Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your colleagues and friends and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great one.